Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. I've taught queer subjects in film studies classes for years. One reason for my fascination is an interest in promoting quality material that many folks ignore by reflex. Another reason is that I often imagine a young person who has never seen a version of themselves on screen, and I think it's my duty to present this young person with a cinematic avatar. In this line of thinking, some years ago I screened Donna Deitch's 1985 lesbian romance, Desert Hearts, for a small group of night school students taking my class on queer cinema. The New York Super Chief with service from Salt Lake, Denver, Kansas City, and Point East is now arriving on track one. The story of Desert Hearts, derived from the 1964 novel Desert of the Heart by Jane Rule, concerns Vivian Bell, Helen Shaver, a 35-year-old Columbia professor who visits Reno, Nevada in the summer of 1959. She's gone west to establish residency and get a divorce from her husband, who will not grant her one at home. While in Reno, she stays at a boarding house for women seeking quickie divorces and meets Kay Rivers, Patricia Charbonneau a free-spirited artist. Where Vivian is buttoned-up, controlled, courteous, and disconnected from her true sexuality, Kay is relaxed, spontaneous, kindly, and outgoing, and she notices Vivian immediately. Complications ensue relating to the community response of Kay pursuing Vivian and to Vivian's inability to embrace life with Kay, but the movie ends on a positive note with Kay following Vivian East, potentially to form something like a Boston marriage. That night school class generally found Desert Hearts agreeable. The acting wasn't considered as polished as might have been possible with a longer production schedule, larger budget, and more seasoned performers, but the period details of a late 1950s story about two women falling in love was enjoyable. There was some discussion of the graphic display of lesbian sex and some murmurings about how much the story was or was not believable, depending on the spectator and their comfort with same-sex relationships, but the evening pinned a note of warmth and curiosity that stayed with me. I recently used Desert Hearts as part of a class exclusively concerned with movies from the 1980s. My goal with this Intro to Film Studies class, as before, was to celebrate little-seen quality material and possibly expose someone to their on-screen self or selves. What I was unprepared for in the post-MeToo moment is that Desert Hearts has a predatory feel to some that I never before noticed caught up as I was in the non-exploitative and honest depiction of homosexual love from among a relative handful of similar images that have ever been produced. The pivotal, troublesome event in Desert Hearts begins when Vivian breaks things off with Kay and moves out of the boarding house. With her divorce paperwork nearly done, she plans to stay in a hotel room and return as quickly as possible to Manhattan because she's been opened up to the risks and joys of being the lesbian she is. Kay is offended by Vivian's decision to simply leave town, and after work one evening, she visits Vivian's hotel room to tell her off. Vivian lets Kay into her room. I am a respected scholar. I've been married for many years to a respected scholar. And for a moment's indiscretion, a fleeting lapse in judgment, I 
stood in the rain and allowed Francis Parker, a figure bearing not the slightest resemblance to anyone in my entire life's experience, to humiliate us as if we were a pair of delinquents. You should have told her all. I'm not in the habit of raising my voice over false issues. When I retire, I will simply write a short story for my revenge about this town, these people, these gamblers. My only clear memory is arriving. The rest is a blur. Vivian turns around and discovers that Kay is in her bed, naked, waiting for Vivian to join her. They argue. Kay refuses to leave, and Vivian confesses that she doesn't know what to do about getting Kay to go, and whether she should submit to Kay's sexual overture or stand her ground in being alone. I want you to put on your clothes and leave. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. I, uh, I wouldn't know what to do. You can start by putting the Do Not Disturb sign on the door. The sequence that follows is built around Kay's worldliness as she initiates Vivian into a new kind of sexual expression and gratification, which is presented to us as a very intimate scene of erotic confusion and eventual surrender, complete with nudity, mutual oral sex, and licensed country music to punch up the lovemaking. Contrary to my previous experience with Desert Hearts, the scene went in directions I hadn't remembered. For example, there is more nervousness from Vivian and a slower pace with very few cuts, and I later discovered that many of the students in my class saw the scene as a dramatized assault. Surprised by this turn, I tried to consider their point of view. I also tried to emphasize the historical value of this sequence in this remarkable independent movie that I've long known to be startling among some viewers, all that woman flesh without connection to any male form or appetite, which was, instead, being interpreted nearly as rape. L'esprit d'escalier, being what it is, a thoughtful idea born too late, the staircase wit, I wasn't able to share with my class the remarkable fact that Deitch had been able to fundraise enough money and procure investment dollars to make Desert Hearts at all. I was slow-witted with explaining all the layers of female subordination to patriarchy that are evident in the movie's 1959 setting, all the leering men expecting a woman to know her place and act the part of male plaything or wife-to-be, and that Deitch's achievement was in reconstructing this place in time on a very small budget with no headline star as a marketing hook. I was unable to call forth any useful remarks about the importance of having a woman director, Deitch, working through the budget and guidance of two women co-producers, Deitch and Cami Taylor, who used a form of pre-internet crowdfunding to bring their project to life, which was adapting a celebrated story of another woman, Rule, via Deitch's screenplay, that expresses the story of two women, Vivian and Kay, all of whom are little concerned with the kind of story world usually considered germane to stories of the 1950s. Nuclear families with boomer babies in single-family homes protected by a white picket fence. There was also little interest in the room with discussing the notes of kindness, beauty, and strength I saw in the movie, like the scene when Kay's older friend Silver, Andra Ackers, tells Kay that there are all kinds of love in the world as they take a bubble bath together while Silver's fiancé, Joe, Antony Ponzini, waits on them with cocktails. Joe's in the kitchen, you're in the tub. Jesus, I'm happy. 
Okay? Now start talking. You're gonna laugh. This must be serious. I think I found somebody who counts. From the beginning, and don't step over the good parts. Well, she's an English professor, and she's ten years older than I am. <laughs> well, rock and roll! That sounds a lot funnier than it is. She out of the ranch? Well, you promise not to mess around. Vivian Bell. I just say her name when I want to smile. You sleeping with her? No. And I probably won't. Don't she want to? Well, it's not about that, Sil. Just you remember, she's gonna pick up her decree and be gone. Well, maybe by then I'll figure out something in this screwed up little life of mine. I love your life, babe. I wouldn't want to be here without it. Oh, you look like two desserts. Beg your pardon. You know, sometimes I honest to God wish I knew what it felt like to be a gorgeous woman. You want the ring back, honey? No. <laughs> Maybe I'll be reincarnated. <laughs> or, there is the first kiss scene in the rain when Kay drives Vivian to Lake Tahoe. Or, the moment when Kay rejects the physical affections of a man who considers himself her one and only, since he's her boss and one-time romantic partner. Do you know how much I love you? I start out wanting to express myself, and then I just I ruin it, don't I? There's nothing to ruin, Daryl. And I've been honest with you about why. The scene begins in parallel to all the nauseating ways in which young men batter young women into sexual favors, whether on screen or off. There is no straightforward defense that doesn't sound irrational, filled with holes, and dumb. I drove home that evening, feeling like something went deeply wrong, that Desert Hearts was misunderstood, that my choice to show it revealed something dark and unpleasant about me because I think it's wonderful. Then a truth hit me. Desert Hearts is upsetting in lots of different ways, but it's also a talisman from another time, 1985, when lesbian experience was ritualistically turned into monstrosity. Had Kay knuckled under the norms of her time in 1959, or even the film's release year of 1985, or had she kowtowed in advance to the sensitivity of moviegoers in the early 21st century and not pursued Vivian at all, she would have accepted loneliness and regret instead of the joy of falling in love. Not for nothing, but Vivian accepts Kay in something about the steps the two take together, agreeing only to ride the train east one stop and see what happens, strikes me as the right note of romance to end the movie. No doubt, I will program Desert Hearts again someday. When I do, I will greet my students and address their reservations about artistic merit and entertainment value, along with whatever then-current behavioral trends prove applicable, while privately knowing that this little scene gem can stand up to the scrutiny.
Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin-Kirai. Boop-boobity-doo!